Thank you so much for tuning into the Chronic Illness Support Podcast. Today, our guest is Caitlin, who will be talking about endometriosis as an advocate and someone who suffers with the disease. According to the Endometriosis Foundation of America, 200 million people worldwide suffer with endometriosis. Thank you so much for joining me today, Caitlin. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself? My name is Caitlin. I'm from Boston, and I'm 28 years old. I have my master's in social work and also do a lot of work with the Chronic Disease Coalition, focusing on education, awareness, and getting more into like the policy side of things. I launched my social media account um, for Chronically Still uh, actually a year ago, and although it's taken me a little bit longer than I had hoped to launch my blog and website, finally getting there and pushing it forward, but for the past year, I've been working on social media campaigns along with other advocates to raise awareness and to make sure that accurate information is being shared and just sharing my own journey and connecting with other people, which has really been amazing as after being so involved in the community, just kind of as, you know, an observer and taking in all the information for many years. And that really, really helped me in my health journey, getting me to the right doctors, getting me the right information I needed to know to make decisions for myself regarding my own health. I have multiple chronic pain conditions, mostly pelvic pain, um, endometriosis, adenomyosis, history of ovarian torsion resulting in loss of my ovary at age 26, and then also interstitial cystitis. So still dealing with a lot of things and of course can't forget pelvic floor dysfunction because of all of the surgeries and my body being in pain for so long. So still doing a lot of things both on my own and then with modern medicine to try and improve my function. And then I also was diagnosed with Cushing's disease um, three years ago and had surgery on my pituitary, actually almost four years ago, and have been trying to um, navigate that since then because it's been a really complicated recovery. Um, So really just trying to do whatever I can. I'm so sorry to hear about your health journey. Congratulations on all of that. That's great that you've been able to use your own experiences to help others. Thank you. So what made you decide to become an endometriosis advocate? So I was diagnosed as a teenager when I was in my senior year of high school. And there was, I remember, like throughout middle school, high school, even though I went to an all-girls school, there was no health education, no talks of, you know, if you have issues with this or with mental health, anything like that. It was very hush-hush. And although I was diagnosed young, especially compared to some other people and pretty quickly, um, it was still a really difficult transition. I don't feel like I was fully prepared for what the disease meant for my future and my life and planning and all the things I had hoped for. And I feel like I people, if I really had the opportunity to, you know, make, be fully aware of all the options and what life would look like, then I could have approached things differently. And I don't feel like I was fully informed about things. So I had a, a really tough time, like with college and sports and not realizing the toll that your health will take with jobs and everything like that. And yeah. uh, I just hope that through getting involved, I can change that for the younger generations and we can 
ensure that this is talked about in our communities, our schools, our families, and, you know, social circles. So then people don't have to go through these really hard times. And also just, they don't have to feel so alone and like something's wrong with them or, or they're too weak or, you know, they should be sucking it up, which is some of the things that I heard from my peers and even family members when I was younger. I'm sorry. That's awful. And that's a really important point to make, too, is that people don't feel alone with this disease because I know I did. Um, and me and you are the same age. And so I get a lot of what you're saying. Yeah, exactly. Because, like, uh, uh, with chronic illness, there's already a lot of stigma, especially if it's an invisible illness. But then when you add on to the layer of it being about your pelvis and, mm-hmm. you know, bladder and bowel function and all of that and, that just, and fertility, and that just makes it even harder and People don't want to hear about that, but it's something we need to talk about. Yeah, definitely. Do you want to talk about some of the symptoms that you've experienced with endometriosis and other chronic illnesses that you have? Yeah, so one of the biggest symptoms I have is fatigue and brain fog. So really struggling with pretty much any activity, no matter how intense it is. Things like studying and, um, you know, like structuring a routine just with like waking up or even bedtime having the energy to do anything like laundry tasks around the house um making food those things are really tough and I deal with a lot of chronic pain um which is mostly isolated to like my lower back hips abdomen and pelvis um but it does sometimes get to the other areas and things just feel really tight and um really like throbbing pain Mm -hmm. and I do have a lot of hormone issues so that leads to like migraines and nausea bowel issues um I alongside endometriosis also have interstitial cystitis so that's a lot of bladder symptoms and having to be really careful about certain like additives into even water or other foods because that can flare up symptoms and then that can cause like a whole body response and just not feeling well yeah uh, what other things? That's a lot of symptoms. <laughs> um, bowel, yeah, bowel symptoms, nausea, vomiting. So pretty much, uh, that sounds like pretty much everything that your body yeah. could go through. <laughs> um, what did you experience with your periods? So I remember it always, like always feeling exhausted. And my mom knew, knew something was wrong because... I have an older sister who didn't go through this, who doesn't have endometriosis that we know of. And I would always have to stay in bed when I had my periods and be stuck like after school or after I was playing soccer. So after soccer practice, I would be stuck in bed and complain about fatigue and nausea, headaches, not be able to move for hours um, or like the weekends really struggle. Or at school, yeah, you know, like not being able to pay attention, having to put my head down because I didn't feel good. Mm-hmm. And I would have a lot of like bowel and bladder pain. Like I remember passing out a couple of times in the bathroom when I was a teenager because um, the pain just got so out of control. And oh wow, yeah. So those are the main things I can remember. Um, do you want to talk about? adenomyosis and what treatments you've had for that and how you were diagnosed. 
Yeah, so I'd say around age 20, I really noticed that something was different about my symptoms and I was having more of like centralized pelvic pain, um, pain in my legs and my low back and it was really making it difficult with work, school and just, you know, being able to get things done that I wanted to. I was having a really difficult time um, and at this time I was still on continuous birth control so I wasn't having a period but I was still having these symptoms and having like uterine cramping and spasms that was very painful even without the period. It became very difficult to manage. Um, so eventually decided to get off of birth control after trying a few different ones because I was having really bad migraines and nothing was helping. Um, so I ended up trying a couple of things for my uterine kind of pains and that included an IUD which um, really did not help me at all and was caused a significant flare in my symptoms both with my migraines as well as more like uterine spasms and cramping and pain down my thighs that really was awful um so at that point because the migraines became too much I made the decision to get off of continuous birth control when I was around 21 just to see you know how I would do and or actually sorry I was about like 22 um just see how it would go and it was really good for a little bit um my migraines went away almost completely and my pain was controlled until my period came back unfortunately two months once I got off of hormones um it came back and it came back really hard and things just kept growing and growing and escalating from there and it was really difficult to treat um the pain and the symptoms and I was in I tried a lot of different things like pelvic floor physical therapy um you know some other like holistic treatments um eventually did also have a presacral neurectomy done um in hopes that it would numb or reduce some of the pain coming from the uterus and the central pelvis that didn't work for me unfortunately although I know many have success with it and um from there the symptoms just kept worsening and worsening um it was really unpredictable with my period how how it would go and and how how long it would last if the pain flares would last um and so we were continuing to try things nothing was really working and I did finally have an MRI which showed adenomyosis and then really had to make some serious decisions about what my options were which unfortunately weren't very there weren't many options um because I had already done the presacral neurectomy and just based on my situation there weren't many other surgical things at the time that they could do for the adeno so after a lot of time and um talking with many people and my doctor and just trying to figure out what life would look like I we decided to do hysterectomy at 24 which was definitely not an easy decision but one that was able to give me my life back in many many ways um to go from pain every every week of the month and to go from pain that began about once once 
once a month, like a week out of a month. And then within a year escalated to every week, unbearable, bedbound, having back like contractions and just some really scary symptoms where I would almost pass out as well. Like, like I did when I was a teenager, it was just very scary what I was going through. And, um, and also really scary that they just had no idea how to help me. And the hormones really weren't an option because of how bad my migraines could get. And at that point, I was a little nervous to get back on hormones anyways, even if somehow we could help, you know, not have migraines. Because when I got off of hormones, it really just, um, I mean, they weren't helping my pain at all. So, unfortunately, there are such limited treatments for adenomyosis. And, um, I know in the, like, since it's almost been five years since I had my hysterectomy, seems like maybe there's a couple of more options, but like surgical options potentially depending on situations. But right now, again, most of the treatments are hormonal and also kind of symptom management. So seeing if there's other kind of pain generators and how can we help those and, and, and then maybe help that, I don't know which is unfortunate. Um, it's also just so misdiagnosed, um, especially in young women. I have met countless doctors who said I couldn't have that because I it only affects those who have gone through childbirth and older um, adults, and that's not the case at all. I've met so many people who are young and have been diagnosed like around my age or even younger. So... There's a lot of misconceptions, unfortunately, and I guess we can talk about that more next time when we do the episode on adenomyosis and just go over all the myths and everything then, but, um, and also talk about the hysterectomy journey because I could talk about that all day, but honestly, I don't regret it and it was necessary. Um, it was a difficult um, decision to make, but a very necessary one, one that I was going to have to make regardless of when I made it. And I just can't imagine if I had lived another month or two months with my uterus because it put on a show on the way out and it was just a lot of pain and a lot of suffering and a lot of loss. Yeah, that's a lot to go through and a really tough decision to make. Yeah. It definitely it was. What other information would you like to discuss about any of your illnesses? Something that I don't think is really talked about too much uh, is how chronic pelvic pain can exist for a lot of people, even after expert excision, even if you do everything right, you get to the top doctor, you can still have a really difficult time after excision um, because there's so many pain generators like chronic bladder inflammation, interstitial cystitis, scar tissue and adhesions, ovarian cysts or other kind of hormonal issues, problems with the muscles, um, pelvic floor dysfunction and how it can cause issues with the hips and low back and pelvis and so many different things due to being in pain for so long. Um, So excision we know is the best treatment option. You'll feel better when you get that. But what happens when you're in a lot of pain after those things? And it doesn't mean that excision didn't work. It's just more complicated than I think many people are made aware of or we might be talking about. And I know maybe some of it is because 
it can be discouraging to say, yes, get excision, excision, you know, is the, the goal and what everybody needs access to. But you might still have pain after and you might still have a really difficult time with these symptoms and they might all not all be from endometriosis. So that's not necessarily something people want to hear, um, which is understandable. You know, you're, you've been suffering for so long and you hear about excision and it is really hopeful. And a lot of people do really well after excision and it might relieve majority of their symptoms and they might not be in severe pain anymore or whatever it may be. But... A lot of us, like myself, still do have severe pelvic pain because a lot of these other pain generators. Yeah, it's, it's really important to figure out our expectations and mm-hmm. talk about other pain sources too. Yeah, that's great information to share. Yeah, because I, I mean, I knew some of that going into my surgeries, but... I didn't realize like this far out, I would still be having so much, so many symptoms like with pelvic pain and going, still going through physical therapy and and pain management and all of that. And it's been a really long journey. How do you cope with all of that? Um, so definitely leaning back on like our community, like the chronic illness community, Mm-hmm. reaching out and connecting to other people who are going in through similar things has been really important to have people to talk to who truly understand what you're going through and what you're saying and can give you support for everything. And then like some figuring out what like kind of coping tools work for me. So I tried to try to do, and I don't do this every day as I'm trying to do, but it's a work in progress. Um, doing like meditation and mindfulness to try to help with like stress levels and anxiety and pain and sleep. Mm -hmm. Definitely. Um, Trying to plan and think ahead is really important for me to know, like I have everything I need with me and maybe I can't do this extra thing because it, my pain level is too high this week. So really trying to figure out that, which can be frustrating and stressful, and it's always a work in progress, but I've been trying to figure out that balance. And also just using tools, like I like to write, so like writing on my Instagram account is really therapeutic to talk about things, and then seeing that it's helping other people has really helped me to give me more meaning and make some some more meaning out of all of this stress and difficult time. Yeah, that's definitely important. Do you want to talk a little bit about Chronically Still? Yeah, so I started my Instagram account a year ago. Yeah, almost a year ago, like a couple, a week actually, just to connect more and have an outlet because I've always been active in different like social media things related to health. Like I used to blog on a journal website when I was first diagnosed and as a, like a teenager and young adult and then that website died, unfortunately. Um, so then I was more active on Facebook and, uh, yeah, just Facebook through a lot of the groups. That's how I found out about excision and all the information about endometriosis and how I learned about adenomyosis and interstitial cystitis and just was able to educate myself more and educate my family and my friends. And it's been really amazing tools 
in figuring out and navigating the chronic illness world and being able to vent and just connect with other people for support. And then I decided to, that I wanted to start to give back to the community and share everything that I've been through and educate others and raise some more awareness because I've been sharing some things like throughout the past almost 10 years on like my own private accounts but I really wanted to do a little bit more especially as I'm a social worker and I'm finding I want to work more with individuals who are having chronic pain and chronic illness and really try to fight against the stigma that you know we see every day even in like doctor offices and in our families and in our communities so I really just wanted to do that to raise more awareness and also have a place to vent about things. And I like to look back on everything I was going through and I've tried to keep journals like handwritten journals and that doesn't always work for me. So it is also like a place of accountability where, you know, it's like, I can see it all there and it's much easier to do that for me, like on my phone than carrying around a journal and remembering it and all of that. Although I would like to be trying to get back into journaling, but it's also been great to connect with other advocates and brainstorm ideas to try to raise some more awareness and education and talk about some of the concerns with like the upcoming like um, presidential election and the everything being shared about health insurance and all of that and mental health. And it's been really great just connecting with other people and um, like building on to all these small ideas I had and things like I've said years ago that I wish was different or I wish I had done something different, but now I have the chance to share all of that and reach people who are like new in their journey of dealing with daily pain or new to this diagnosis and really looking for a community to turn to because unfortunately they're not finding that support within their own, you know, community physical community and also within like their medical system and doctor experience and all of that. Yeah. Yeah. All of that's really important and helpful for other people to know too, because I know a lot of those things I didn't know at the beginning of my journey. And I think that's really helpful for others. Yeah, definitely. What is something you wish you would have known when you were diagnosed? I wish I would have known that Like, I feel like when I was diagnosed, I was told, like, oh, you have this and you need surgery, but you do the surgery, you stay on continuous birth control, and you'll be good to go. But that wasn't necessarily true. And I wish I was more prepared for what this would look like and what my life would look like. Because I was told, um, also, like, you take this birth control and and this is, you know, how you'll save your fertility and be able to have children. And you just get off this when you want to have children. That clearly wasn't the case, and I don't know why that was said to me, and it's always stuck with me, and I remember being really upset when I heard that at 17 years old, and being like, I'm not going to be able to have children, I'll need to use IVF, and, you know, I'll have to stay on this medicine, and I, I didn't know that what ended up happening would happen, and I really just wish that I had, like, a support person to talk to who truly knew everything about endometriosis and mental health and college and Mm -hmm. navigating the world and the workforce and insurance and just every little piece that's really important when you have a chronic illness to figure out 
And also just knowing that I wasn't alone. Because when I was diagnosed, all of my friends and family were healthy, um, nothing out of the norm. And nobody definitely shared about period pain or, you know, pelvic pain. And when I tried to talk about it, people didn't want to hear about it. So that's something that I think is really important to make sure that people don't feel alone and that there is a lot of, like, support resources even outside of, say, like going to a therapist and also making sure that if people are like seeking out therapy, that therapists are trained in chronic illness, chronic pain, fertility, all of that, because it's so important to make sure that we're giving people the right information and we know about what they're going through. Yeah, definitely. Do you want to talk a little bit about how it affects your daily life? Yeah, um, so I, I have like varying levels of fatigue and pain throughout the day it will get worse um, or better with with or without certain activities and it is challenging like figuring out sitting and standing and whatever I'm doing um yeah so it it can be really challenging and then like sometimes I'll have flares from certain activities food stress things like that but Sometimes flares just come on suddenly and not really provoked by anything. And then it's a matter of making sure I have all the different tools and like staying hydrated and eating the right foods, which is really challenging when you're not feeling well and you don't have energy. And like figuring out what kind of other like tools outside of medications that could help me. Like I use heating pads and like heating packs and all of those things. Um, like an actual electric heating pad or something like that can stick on to me. I use that pretty much like 24 hours a day. I would say I have some form of some, some sort of pain reliever um, and like using CBD and trying all of that. So I do have a lot of fatigue from like working and other things I have to do that can be really exhausting mentally and physically. But then I, have been dealing with insomnia a lot due to my pain levels and I'm sure stress levels. Um, so every day kind of looks different, but there is a baseline of pain and fatigue that like, unfortunately I can't remember the last time I woke up and didn't feel tired, brain fog and pain in the past, I don't know, seven years maybe. Oh, wow. I'm sorry. I know it's important that we get sleep and it has to be hard not to be able to sleep. Yeah, definitely. It's, I went from like being able to sleep literally 14 hours to struggling to sleep like five hours and then obviously feeling the brunt of that and struggling. Yeah. Um, But I have figured out like some things to help me sleep more. I just wish it would come naturally. (laughs) Like you feel so tired, but then you're so restless and can't sleep. And that's such a frustrating feeling. Mm Mm-hmm. Is there any other information you would like to share about any of your illnesses? Um, I think it's important just to make a note that everyone has varying levels of like pain and nausea, migraines, um, bladder symptoms, bowel symptoms, whatever it may be. Because unfortunately, it can feel a lot like there's a competition and we're competing against each other. And why does, you know, that person 
that person says they have severe pain, but they don't have pain like mine. And I've seen a lot of that in our community lately or questioning why people are using, you know, whatever thing to treat their pain. And I think that's really frustrating to see because we already deal with so much stigma and judgment from the medical community and our family, our friends, everybody. So I know people, you know, when you're not feeling good and you want to be heard, you feel like you have to do those things. But I think it's important to just remember that everybody's different. And we, although we have, you know, similar complaints, we can't, we're not in that person's situation and we don't know how they're truly feeling. So Mm -hmm. I hope we can find some more, like, be more supportive to one another in our community so we can, you know, like work together and really make some positive changes and hopefully not feel make people feel like they have to isolate and get away and then they're struggling on their own yeah that's really important because we already feel that way so much you know day to day yeah definitely what piece of advice do you want to give listeners just to listen to your body you're, you know, you are the one feeling and seeing and you're the one going through this and you might find that somebody like questioning what you're going through or not doesn't seem to be taking it serious. And if you feel, you know, like listen to your gut, if you feel like something isn't right or they're not truly listening to you, if you're able to, which I hope everyone would be, get another opinion do your own research. Of course, some things on the internet aren't true, which we know. And there tends to be like the most negative things that are posted, but there is a lot of great information. And just really, if you can be your own advocate and just don't give up and keep searching and keep fighting, because I felt a lot, a lot of times that Maybe it's not as bad as I think it is, or maybe that doctor is right, and I just need to do this, although I don't feel totally comfortable doing this, like a medication or some other kind of treatment, like injections. But I've, I've really worked hard to try to listen to myself, listen to my gut, trust myself, and do more research, try to get another opinion, or talk to other people like in the community about it, weigh the pros and cons, whatever you you know, need to do to work through it because it's your life, it's your body, and you're the one dealing with it every day, not, you know, that doctor or whoever else it may be. Yeah, that's really great advice. How can someone show support for chronic illnesses, endometriosis or adenomyosis or any chronic illnesses? That's a good question. I think educating themselves, like looking into like endometriosis, looking it up and hopefully getting to the right source, you know, one that's not, has the correct information. Um, So really just trying to understand what are they going through and asking them. Sometimes, you know, if you ask someone like, how can I help you or what do you need? They might say, oh, nothing, I'm fine. But depending on your relationship with them really asking like open-ended questions and trying to help them even if they seem to be 
like distancing themselves because I've done that a lot, I think, in my pain journey. And I would have really, not saying anyone did anything wrong, but like really appreciated someone going that extra mile and do helping me with something like saying, I'm coming over and doing this or I'm sending you, you know, this um, just to show like I care about you and I support you. That makes a huge difference because we already feel so alone and so trapped and it can really take such a big toll on our mental health. So, and and also just listening to someone and just being there, you don't have to have the answers. You don't have to, you know, always truly understand what they're going through, but just listening and letting them vent and trying to be there and be a support is so important and such a underrated thing, I think. Yeah, it really is. Yeah. How can listeners connect with you? Um, through, I'd say the, the best way is through Instagram, my Instagram chronically still, um, through messages or comments, whatever it may be. I also have my email on there. If people feel more comfortable doing it that way. And I'm going to have my website, which is right now going to be mainly like a blog. And then eventually we'll like, hopefully very soon we'll have more like educational information and files that people can save for different things related to all things pelvic pain, chronic illness, invisible illness um, in like the very near future. I'm hoping in the next month I'll really have a ton of information up because I'm actually going to make my blog official today, even if it doesn't look, you know, fully complete and what I wanted it to be. But right now, just having it up there. Thank you. (laughs) Just having it up there is yeah. such a huge thing because I've been delaying that for a long time because I'm like oh I want to make sure it's perfect and you know yeah but it's like whatever just (laughs) just get it up and (laughs) that'll come eventually yeah I will put all those links um down below in the show notes for listeners um is there anything else that you would like to add I I don't think so okay thank you so much for taking time to be a guest on the chronic illness support podcast and telling your story with chronic illnesses to help provide education and awareness i enjoyed having you caitlin thank you you're welcome if you found listening to the chronic illness support podcast helpful in any way please subscribe rate and review thank you so much for listening <music>